0: you guys think of pancakes? Is this our first time with pancakes? Woo! Bacon and pancakes. Please nobody let the word get out. Well, I I don't have many announcements this morning. I may have a few announcements after um, we've gotten to hear from Michael, but I do have the distinct pleasure of getting to introduce our newest pastor. And um, most of you have probably seen him as the, choir, as the new choir director, as well. But it's fascinating, and I was thinking how I would want to introduce him, and um, he's given me a little bit of uh, rope here to hang myself with. Um, but I first heard his name, and I was like, No, 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 no. We've already got a Michael. We've had so many Michaels at this church. We, if the choir, the, he can't, why are you even letting this guy audition if his name is already Michael? And I remember distinctly I was out of town the night that he came and directed the choir back in October, I think, November. And um, I got back, but I got back in time to go to dinner with people. And we went out to dinner, and I could tell that the group, this was not not a big group, you know, five or ten people, and they were all upbeat. And I said, okay, that was probably the guy. I missed the one rehearsal I missed is the one with, with the guy. And so, um, Michael has come to um, to be both our choir director and the worship arts pastor. He, uh, he started out, though, and I hate that Bob uh, Fletcher is not here this morning, so mm-hmm. someone be sure to uh, let Bob know that someone else from Louisiana has found their way to Atlanta. And um, so, Michael grew up in Monroe, Louisiana, and um, has done time in many places in Louisiana. <laughs> um, he went to the University of Louisiana where he got a music degree and then he got a Master's of Divinity from Asbury Seminary and he has a doctorate too. So I'm, I don't know what he's going to talk about this morning but we're all going to get an education hopefully taking less time than his did. <laughs> um, and so he has a, a young family. His wife, Katie, had a birthday this week, so he's juggling all the things. All of us have been through that where we try and juggle work and family all at the same time. And he has three delightful kids. Um, Aubrey um, is their uh, middle child, who's two and a half, or is yeah, that still accurate? Three. Almost three. Um, Allie is nine, and they have a son, Carson, who is 11 months. Wow. 14. months. 14 months. So, if you ever get information off the web, what you want to do is figure out when they put it on the web and add time to it. That'll, that'll always work out better. And, um, you know, it's been a pleasure to get to know Michael the last four months, um, both as a singer and as a church member. And so, I know you're all going to get to enjoy getting to know him a little bit more this morning. Um, let's give it up for Michael Cromwell. Thanks,
1: Eric. That was pretty good. <laughs> no, that was really good. Thank you for that introduction. It's great to be with you this morning uh, on this spring break week. It's been a busy week for me and my family. We just got back from a little trip up in L.J. Blue Ridge and had some, some good time away and a uh, full day yesterday, choir rehearsals. And so it's good to be with you this morning. I'm grateful for this opportunity. Uh, I'm from, uh, like Eric said, I'm from Louisiana. Anybody else from Louisiana? okay good uh, so this won't offend anybody what i'm about to say there uh there's a couple of guys i thought i'd open there's a couple of guys in louisiana that um i like to share some stories about them every once in a while and uh their names are boudreaux and thibodeau hey, you do i'm sorry <laughs> boudreaux and thibodeau are some pretty good guys and uh I was reminded of a story of Boudreaux and Thibodeau, and I, I, I'll open with this. This is very spiritual in nature, not really. Um, so, uh, so Boudreaux lived uh, across the bayou from uh, another guy named Clarence, um, and Boudreaux did not like Clarence at all. There was a, a hate-hate relationship there. Um, And uh, across the bayou, there was no bridge to get from one side of the bayou to the other side of the bayou. Um, And so the two had this bickering relationship where they would yell back and forth across the bayou (laughs) at each other. Um, And Boudreaux would often yell across the bayou. He would say, Clarence, if I had a way to cross that bayou, I'd come and beat you up right now. Uh, Then the threats would continue back and forth and back and forth. And one day the state of Louisiana decided to, to build a bridge across the bayou. And soon after the bridge was built, uh, Boudreaux's friend, Thibodeau, he said, Boudreaux, you've been talking about going across that bayou to beat up Clarence all these years, and uh, now they have that bridge, so what you waiting for? So Boudreaux decided it was, it was time to go give Clarence a little visit. So he started walking down the bridge, and just as he was getting ready to cross the bridge, he looks up at a a sign that was on the bridge. He reads it, he turns around, and he goes home. When Boudreaux gets home, Clarence asks, Man, Boudreaux, did you get to beat up Clarence? Boudreaux said, No, Thibodeau, that sign on the bridge says Clarence, 13 feet 3 inches. (laughs) Clarence don't look near that big from across the bayou. <laughs> so, uh, with that in mind, let's pray. <laughs> God, we're grateful for your presence here and the ways that you continue to move in our lives. I thank you for each gentleman that's here. their love of you, the uh, their love of this church, and love of this community. Uh, God, may you be glorified in our midst as we spend time together. Uh, draw us closer to you and closer to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to take just a second around your table, and um, maybe five minutes or so, not too long, but everybody share one of your uh, first memories of church that you can remember, whether it was as a child or as an adult, whenever that might be, just to kind of share one one of your first memories. It doesn't have to be anything real elaborate, but just kind of think about that and share one of your first memories in the church. And... (laughs) chance to share a little bit around your table uh, about one of your earliest memories how how many of you grew up in in the church Mm -hmm. something that you how many came to the church a little bit later in life great it's always interesting to see in a room of folks uh, our background and where we've come from um now, I've been able to share with a couple of Sunday school classes, so I apologize if some of this is a repeat for some of you, but at least you'll, you'll get just
0: to... Don't change any of the
1: facts. You bet.
0: I'll do my best. <laughs>
1: um, well, I grew up in the church. It's something I've always known. I, I, One of my earliest remember memories is sleeping on the pews in church. Um, and it wasn't a disrespectful thing. I just remember being a child and my parents... Would bring me to church, and that's what I would do. Um, I didn't fully get everything, and I grew up in the United Methodist Church, so I've been United Methodist my entire life. Um, I have uh, family members that um, are, have are or have been United Methodist pastors or district superintendents, um, so it, it, it runs pretty deep in uh, in my family as far as the United Methodist Church is concerned. Um, so I really love this. This church and the denomination, um, and um, the the focus on on grace and love, and um, and so it's been a, a wonderful blessing for me to be a part of the United Methodist Church my entire life. Um, I I have an older brother and an older sister. Um, and um, I'll give a little little background leading up to that. Uh, my home church is in Monroe, Louisiana, and it's called Lee Joyner Memorial United Methodist Church. There was a female pastor by the name of Lee Joyner who uh, felt a call one day that uh, God was leading her to start her own church. This was in the 1950s. For a woman <laughs> to come forward and to say, I feel called to start my own church, that was not a very common nor well-thought-of idea. Um. Well, the, uh, the conference said, uh, okay, we won't give you any land, but we'll give you a little bit of money um, and do whatever you need to with that. So they gave her a little bit of money. Well, she found this particular piece of property. It was at, uh, in Monroe at the railroad station. Well, my grandfather, my dad's dad, worked for the railroad station. He was a conductor for the railroad station there. And Lee Joyner came to my grandfather and said, I'm going to be starting this church. And she started forming some relationships with people. And she said, would you be interested in helping me to start this church? Um, at the time, my dad was uh, a young, young lad. And um, so his family helped to start this church. It was Southside Methodist, South Methodist Church at that point. That was before it was United Methodist. Um, so the Southside Methodist Church was formed. Um, Lee Joyner was a, uh, a very influential figure in the life of my family, and, uh, and part of what I want to share with you today is, is the impact that people have in our lives and in our spiritual walk, and um, Lee Joyner was one of the first people that really was influential in my life. Uh, so I have, I have a brother, an older brother and an older sister. My parents were told they would never have children, um, so they decided to adopt, um, and it was a very complicated and complex process um, at that point. This was early 70s or so, and um, but Lee Joyner was very familiar with the process, and she was friends with people in New Orleans um, who were a part of the adoption agency there, and so she helped my parents to, to bring in my My sister and my brother Um, and so there was a a close bond there well one day uh, my mom goes to the doctor it was on Good Friday she tells me this every year it was on Good Friday and all of a sudden she hears from a room behind her the nurse scream and to come back and tell her you're pregnant Um, and it was uh, not something they ever thought would happen (laughs) Uh, my mom was uh, bedridden with me for eight months, so she really couldn't do much for eight of the nine months. Um, I was born on my due date, so from the beginning, my dad said I was needed to be on time for everything. So, uh, um, so I was born, and I was baptized by Lee Joyner. Um And here's the significance of of this this first influential person in my life is that. Um when, when she baptized me, um, she kind of held me up. Uh, I joked with another group. I kind of think, have you ever seen The Lion King? You know, with Simba, they raised the, the cub up. I, that's the image I have, even though I know that's not what happened at all. Um, but she kind of held me before the congregation. She said, God is going to call this child into the ministry one day. I'm claiming it right now. Um, and to know that someone knew very early in my life, (laughs) before I was one, that that God was already planting seeds in me uh, for what was to come. Um, So she was influential. My parents were extremely influential in my faith and in my life. My parents were the kind of people, they were uh, always at the church. Um, They were the chair of every single committee you could be the chair of. Uh, My mom ran Vacation Bible School for a number of years, and uh, my dad was influential in the life of the church as well as one of the lay leaders. um, But there were other people in the church that stepped in as well. (coughs) When a child is baptized, there is a vow that the entire congregation takes. And it says, you know what, we're going to walk alongside these parents and this family and this child, and we're going to help to raise this child in the faith. Um, well, my home church took that vow seriously. And for the children of that church, they really helped to, to walk alongside and help to, to raise. Um, Lee Joyner uh, gave her life um, to the ministry, literally gave her life to the ministry. Um, she was in ministry to someone who was a drug addict. And um, he, um, he kidnapped her at church one day um, and took her life, um, took advantage of someone that, um, had given her all, um, to help him out, um, but he chose to take her life, um, that was a devastating thing for, uh, for my family, I was young, I was, I think, five or six years old when that happened, um, uh, but it was, it made an impact in that community, um, the church, my home church, is now named after her, um, which she would hate. <laughs> um, the primary bridge that goes from Monroe to West Monroe is named after her. It's the Lee Joyner Memorial Bridge, and there's other streets and buildings that are named after her in my hometown. It, it goes to show the, the difference that one person can make and that uh, someone's <laughs> legacy that can continue to live on even in the midst of such tragedy. Um, but, uh, when she, uh, when, when, you know, when she was killed, someone came in and stepped in as the new senior pastor of my home church. And it was an incredible man, um, uh, that we knew in my family that helped to continue to raise me in, uh, in the faith. When he decided to retire, uh, a new senior pastor came in. His name is Dave Fortuna. Now, the interesting thing here, um, I got a text message from Dave uh, a couple of days after um, I had accepted the position here at Roswell. I don't know how he found out, but, you know, word travels very fast. Um, And I got a text message from him. He said, I'm so excited uh, about your, your new venture and what's happening. He said, your new senior pastor and I went to seminary together, and we carpooled together. I'm um, going to seminary and spent a lot of time together and shared some interesting stories. So just uh, the connections of our system is pretty amazing, even from state to state. But Dave came in and uh, really was a, a, another influential figure in my life. Um, I was in um, early high school when he came in and began to to develop some incredible ministries and some programs at, at my home church. Um, he was the person that began to see something in me and began to give me opportunities to be able to live into my my calling. I didn't know what my calling was at that point. To be honest with you, I thought I was gonna be a doctor. I thought I was gonna be an ophthalmologist. That was the direction I was headed. Um, I loved science and math and all that, so I was studying to, uh, to go that route. Uh, music for me was just, it was a hobby. Um, I, I liked it okay. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't even like to sing. Um, I was in the marching band, so I played percussion. Um, and that was about my extent. I, I liked doing that. The reason I chose to do band is because I didn't want to take French <laughs> as an elective. So I chose to do the band uh, instead. And um, And it was fun. And it kind of kept me out of some classes that I didn't want to do. And So it all worked for me, but it was just a hobby. It wasn't anything that I, I took seriously at all. I, I, I would say I was an average or maybe even a below average musician in middle school and high school. It was not anything that I really aspired to do anything with. It was just more of a hobby for me. Um, well, well, Dave knew, Dave Fortuna knew that um, I was in the band. And he was seeing some things in me that I was not seeing in myself. He was seeing some leadership things in me that um, I, I didn't know was there. Um, and I probably preferred not to know that they were there, to be completely honest with you. Well, one day, Dave came to me. I was a, uh, a senior in high school at this point. And Dave said, you know what, Mike? Um, you know, I've been here a couple years now. I'm wanting to start a new worship service. And uh, this is something I've had in my heart for a while now. We've got several services now. They're all traditional services. And he said, I want to start a new worship service. And uh, he says, it's a contemporary worship service. Now, I had no idea what a contemporary <coughs> worship service was. That that was foreign to me uh, because our services were, were very traditional at that point. He said, I feel like we're, we could be reaching a whole new audience of people um, that we're not currently reaching right now. And, and here's the thing. Um, I want you to serve as the worship leader for it. Oh, I'm a senior in high school, and I play the drums. How in the world does that qualify me to serve as a worship leader? And I said, have you heard me sing? (laughs) He said, no. I said, I haven't either. (laughs) Uh, uh, It's not something, you know, maybe in the car. I didn't didn't even know if I could carry a tune or not at that point. But he had some faith in me and was willing to, uh, to put his trust in me to start a band. Now, he came to me and he said, here's the thing. I already have the band together. We just need somebody to sing. That's very dangerous. When, and Dave was not a musician. He always told me, I wish you would start a choir for people who can't sing. I thought that would be, that would be an incredibly awful experience for any musician. <laughs> uh, but uh, he said, I've already got the band together, and I want you to be the singer. So here was, here was the band. It was me who's never sung before in my life. Um, our pianist was a classically trained pianist. Um, she had to use all eighty-eight keys on the piano in for, order for a piece to really work. And um, uh, uh, we had a guitar player who knew three chords, and uh, and then we had we had a drummer who I would qualify as more alternative on the edge of heavy metal. So you put all those people together. And yeah, that that works, right? I, I don't know what he had in mind, uh, but I remember when we first started, and uh, we had our first worship service, and I still have the bulletin for it. My, my mom framed it for me. But we we had that first service; it was terrible. It, it the sound was awful, and it was just one of the. Uh, I can't believe that anybody would ever want to come back after hearing uh, what we had. Uh, but that group stayed together for a while, and that. That service began to grow, um, and it was in the midst of that and that experience that I began to think, May, maybe there's something here. Um, maybe there's more to this than me just helping to lead a worship service, but maybe, maybe God's leading me in some, some direction here. Um, so it was the se- my senior year of high school. And I was getting ready to move away to Shreveport, Louisiana, to Centenary College. It's a United Methodist school there. I was going to study pre-med. Had a full ride to go study there and was excited to, to get away from home and to experience something new. Well, my the summer after my senior year, I really felt God moving and stirring in my life. And uh, clearly felt God saying, you know what? This is not the path that I have for you. Um, I've started you on the path where you need to go, and we need to take this next step together. Um, So I decided not to go to Centenary, and I decided not to study pre-med, but then I was going to to move and change my major to music. And uh, I'll never forget uh, sitting down with my parents, Um, and telling them of my decision to change and not go to the school where I had a free ride. (laughs) I'm changing my major, and you're probably never going to get that cabin on the lake like I promised you. Um, So I remember sitting down with them and saying, I I have some news that I need to share with you. Um, And my dad, my dad was a a very matter-of-fact kind of person. Um, And said, so, okay, so what is it? And uh, so I was shaking. I was so nervous. And I said, I, I've decided I'm, I'm not going to study medicine. That's not the direction I'm going to head. <laughs> and I'll never forget, he said, Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, what is it that you have decided to do? And I said, I, I'm going to study music. <laughs> and I could see my mom's expression like, Oh, this is going to be interesting. And then I'll never forget my dad's response. And he looked at me and he said, is this what you feel God leading you to do? I said, yes. He said, then we'll support you 100% of the way. Um, and, and that was, that was a, a very pivotal moment for me. Um, and it still is today as, as a father um, to remember that uh, that may not have been my, my dad's first choice for me. I mean, because, you know, in his mind, is like, how can you make a living doing music? Um, but his words to me, if this is what you feel like God is calling you to do, I'm going to support you the entire way. And that was, that was a huge moment for me and something that I'll never forget and something that I want to instill in, in my kids as well. Um, when I was 21 years old, I was a senior in college. Uh, my dad passed away unexpectedly. Um, so I look back in these moments and I, I I really value them and my my dad never missed an opportunity uh, to tell me how much he loved me and how proud he was of me and my dad was a man's man you know, uh, you know a larger than life person uh, a managed uh, sales manager for a, a large company in Monroe a very well respected but <clears throat> Uh, but never miss that opportunity to express his love and and how proud he was of me. Um, and I take that with me, and um, I try to instill that in, in my kids and how I parent as well, even when I'm not always excited about the, the decisions that um, our, our kids are making. Um, and so as a group of men, I think that's important for us to hear at times, is that it's, it's important for us... Um, whether we have kids or we have people in our lives that we mentor or that we can help to guide, we have that responsibility to be able to be a positive influence and to support them, um, even when it's not the easy thing to do and maybe not the thing we think it, it should be. Um, so I, I stepped into this role of, of contemporary worship leader. I changed my major to music education um, and I went to my, the, the local school where uh, in Monroe, it's the University of Louisiana Monroe, one of the LSU systems. And um, about my sophomore year, the, uh, the music director at the church, the one who oversaw the entire program, she felt called into full-time pastoral ministry. So she stepped away uh, from that position. And Dave, the senior pastor, came to me and he said, you know, we have this open position and I'd really like for you to step in and to direct the chancel choir, uh, lead the children's choirs, lead the youth choir, start a handbell choir, um, continue to do the contemporary worship leader while being a full-time student. Um, I was naive, didn't know anything about it. I thought it would be a great opportunity and it was, so I said, yeah. I'll be happy to do that. And that was, that was a, another defining moment for me where I began to see glimpses of God saying, this is what I have in store for you. Um, the, the thing that amazes me is the way that God can use people in our lives when we never know that God is using this particular person in this particular moment for this particular reason. Uh, I was in the college choir. Um, I didn't start singing in a choir until I was a sophomore in college. Um, I remember sitting down my first day, uh, so I had to go in a couple of days beforehand to audition for the choir. So I went in and I met the choir director. He said, sing some scales, my country tis with thee. I finished and he said, you know what, you, it's, you're not bad. <laughs> uh, I, we, we've got a spot for you in, in one of the choirs. So I remember going to the choir, the first choir rehearsal. Now, I was a music major. I started as an instrumental major in percussion. Uh, so this was a new world to me, to sit in a choir. So I remember sitting down in the choir, and they handed me my packet of music. I opened up my packet of music, and I remembered just nothing but fear. because I thought, I've never seen music like this before in my life, and I have no idea what I'm doing. So I sat down, and I looked at the guy next to me, and I'd never met him before in my life. And I said, "Um, which which line am I supposed to be reading here? And he looked at me, and he says, have you never sung in a choir before? And I said, no. He thought, and this is an audition college choir? I said, yeah. And he said, well, what part do you sing? What part do you sing? (laughs) He said, baritone. Baritone sounds
0: good to me. I'll do it.
1: And uh, so he, he helped me out, and his name was Scott. Scott actually ended up becoming one of my uh, college roommates. And he would show me the, the ropes. Well, I remember one day, this is a couple of years later, we, we had this piece of music, and I really wanted the solo for this piece of music. And I was really hoping I was going to get this solo. And I, I put a lot of time and energy into it, audition, and, man, I knocked it out of the park. It, I was good. <laughs> Uh, I was proud of myself, and I thought, I've got this thing hands down. Well, the next day, the director stands up, and he says, I'd like to announce our soloist for this piece of music. He said, the soloist will be, and I was like, "Ah, this is it. I'm going to stand up and get the applause here. Scott Flowers, (laughs) who was the guy sitting next to me. And I thought, Scott didn't do near as good of a job as I did on that. How in the world did he get the solo? And the director said, but here's what I want to do with this piece. Um, I'm not going to direct it. Um, He said, Mr. Cromwell, you will be our conductor for this particular piece. Um, In that moment, uh, he saw something in me um, that I didn't see in me. um, and gave me an opportunity to grow into something that I never would have chosen for myself. Um, I didn't aspire at 12 years old to be a church choir director. That was not something that I thought I would ever do. Um, But he saw something in me that I didn't know was there. And he gave me that opportunity to step in. And from that point forward, every concert, he would allow me to direct a piece and worked with me privately to um, investing his time and his energy in me. And that was an incredible moment for me as well, that God places certain people in our lives to help direct us in certain ways that we probably not would have done otherwise. Um, And I say that to to say that um, I'm becoming more and more sensitive to to God's presence and God's voice in my life through other people. Um, The way that other people can speak into me and how often God uses that particular person Um, to help direct me in my path. Um, I'm a firm believer when I make big decisions. I I want to consult with people that I respect. Uh, I want to hear what they have to say and to bring a different perspective on things. Um, And I think that's a huge aspect. It's it's humbling, first of all, to come to somebody and say, "I, I need some guidance, I need some counsel here. And I think that's an incredible place to be to humble ourselves um, to be able to say, I, I, I need some help here. Um, God led me on a path that I never would have imagined for, for myself. So I grew up in Monroe. Uh, Dave Fortuna, the senior pastor of my home church that was influential in my life, who was actually the best man at my wedding. Because when my dad died, he took a role as my father. Um, and uh, he moved to South Louisiana in a little town called Slidell. It's a bedroom community of uh, New Orleans. Uh, my senior year of college, I was graduating. He calls me and he says, you know what? Our music director just left. I really want you to come down here. Um, so I ended up moving down to Slidell, Louisiana. I had an incredible experience. Got to form relationships down there. I, uh, if you don't know, North Louisiana and South Louisiana are two different states. It's a very different experience uh, for me. I had to learn the language. (laughs) The first time somebody told me, I'm going to go make groceries, I had no idea what that meant, but it just meant they were going to the grocery store. I thought the people actually really made their groceries there, but they didn't. Uh, So I had that experience. had a youth choir, a, a, a youth music ministry that traveled kind of across the country. We went to the St. Louis and Chicago area, uh, one particular summer, I get back home uh, to Slidell. I get a call from a senior pastor in St. Louis saying, I was there whenever you brought your kids to, to be in ministry. We just lost our music director. Are you interested in coming um, and joining us on staff? I, I really wasn't. Uh, but it was amazing how God orchestrated that to lead me into to St. Louis and um, this strange land. Um, you know, I'd always lived in the South my whole life and, uh, all these people saying you guys instead of y'all was very foreign to me. Um, and to be able to spend time there, um, and it was in that process, um, I was in St. Louis. I'm going to share something kind of personal with you here. Um, I was in a relationship with someone and we were going to get married. Um, it was very serious and, uh, the church where I was in St. Louis, uh, was growing. It uh, The music ministry was growing. It was hard to keep up with. I found myself working almost every single day of the week and about five to six nights a week. Um, well, my fiance at that time, she came to me and she said, look, here's the deal. Um, it, it's either me or the church. You're going to have to make a choice. Um, and I knew that I was continuing to... Um, on a road to burnout with the way that the church was. They weren't, they weren't doing it intentionally. It's just the way the life of the church goes sometimes. And so I knew I was on the road to burnout. So I said, you know what, I'm going to look for something different. Um, and that way we can continue our relationship and what's next. Um, she actually did the research and found this church in Woodstock, Georgia called Hillside United Methodist Church, and they were looking for someone to be their minister of worship. Um, I love music, but my real passion is worship. Um, I I love it when we can come together and and express our hearts to God uh, through a variety of means of worship. So she found this position. She said, this sounds exactly like what you need to be doing. So I began the interview process, and ultimately they hired me. And so I moved down to Woodstock, Georgia, not knowing a single soul. Uh, I had a a home in St. Louis that was for sale, and it took several months to sell that, so I had to live in the basement of some folks at at Hillside at the church there. So I show up on August the 1st, 2007, I guess that was, and I've never met these people before in my life. I pull into their driveway, I said, I'm here. Uh, this is home for the next however long and so they became family to me. Well when I moved here, um, the relationship that I was a part of, it started falling apart. Because the plan was for me to move and for her to find a job. She was finishing her master's and for her to move here as well. Uh, Well, that never happened. Um, And then we realized this is just not meant to be. Um, And that's that was a huge challenge. I picked up and moved across the country um, in hopes that you would be moving and made this decision in large part because you told me to make a choice. Now, granted, I needed to make a choice because the road to burnout was, was definitely in my future. Um, but, again, I look at how, how God can use certain people in our lives, even in the midst of what feels like pain, and a negative situation, and, and how God can redeem that. I love the line at the end of Genesis when it talks about uh, Jacob and then ultimately Joseph. And there's a little line that talks about everything that Joseph went through. And the little line says, but God meant it for good. Um, and, I, and I remember that even in the midst of difficult situations that, uh, that God can redeem a situation, a circumstance, and can mean that for good. Um, well, it was when I was at Hillside where I met my current wife. Um, I still remember the first time I saw her come into worship. I'm like, my focus is lost. <laughs> um, and and how how God had placed me in in a church. I was there for almost twelve years. Um, I I was able to uh, to pursue seminary. And a doctorate there, um, and ultimately called to ordain ministry. Um, that church loved and supported me. Um, it, it helped me um, help me find my wife, um, and helped to raise our kids. All three of our kids were baptized there. Um, I never would have chosen that path for myself. I wanted to be an eye surgeon. And I sometimes I step back and I'll think, what would my life look like if, if I would have pursued what I thought was best for me? And as I step back, I think about Lee Joyner. I think about my parents. Um, I think about Dave Fortuna. Um, I think about an ex-fiance. I think about all these people that have played a role in my life that have helped to shape me, that have helped to form me, and have helped to guide me to where I am right now.
0: Um,
1: the fact that I'm here right now at Roswell United Methodist Church, it's a miracle. Um, and, and I believe in that. Um, many of you know that my wife grew up here. Um, and this, this was her home church to think that I, I come from Monroe to Slidell to St. Louis to Woodstock to Roswell. And, I, and I, I meet my wife, and this is her home church, and this is where we end up serving and getting to be to raise our own kids. Um, that's clear evidence of God's hand um, in, in our lives. Um, and so I, I say all this, there's a lot of holes in my story I didn't share today. Um, but what I share is I, I want to encourage you to think about the different ways that, that God has has led you in your journey. Uh, There are times where I I take it for granted. I don't really think much about it. But I really want to encourage you on this day, um, as you leave from this place, to think about those people, those individuals that God has placed in your life that have helped to guide you on your journey and where you are now. And to, to think and to know that Our lives are are so different because of how God works in and through people. And think about this, too. None of us in this room know how God can use each and every one of us to speak into somebody else, too. We never know the impact that we might have, the influence that we might have in the life of someone else when we don't even know it. Um, To know that God wants to use us in that way, we just have to be obedient uh, to what God has in store for us. Um, So I I leave you with that, hoping and praying that you will think about your own journey, your own path today, um, where you are and how God has led you to where you are now, and how God might be using you to help guide and shape somebody else's journey. I had a professor. He said, "Who's your Paul? Your mentor, and who's your Timothy? Who's the person that you're mentoring right now?" So think about that as we uh, as we leave today. Thank you for being here this morning. Thanks for the invitation for allowing me to share just a glimpse of uh, of my journey. It is a joy to be here. Uh, it's a blessing to be in this church. This is an incredible church. Uh, Uh, I'm an outsider coming in. Some of you have been here for, you know, a couple hundred years um, collectively. Uh, Don't take it for granted. Sometimes we can do that. We can take it for granted, but this is a special place. Um, So hear from someone that's coming in um, new that um, you're making a difference in this community and the life of others, and, and I appreciate you and the ways that you continue to live out your faithfulness. Uh, to Jesus Christ. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this, this holy day, this opportunity that we've had to join together, to eat, to fellowship, and to think about our own journey. God, it's, it's very humbling when we truly take the time to step back and see and realize the ways that you are working and the ways that you have worked in our lives. God, I thank you for, for those that have been in my life that have been so influential. Whether they knew it or not, I thank you for using people, for working in and through people. The way you have worked for ages um, to make a difference in the lives of others. And this morning, may we be convicted uh, to be your agents Um, so that we can uh, walk alongside others, helping to shape their journey as well. Uh, We give this day to you, whatever it holds. We ask you to have your way in us. May we humble ourselves. May we be obedient to you. And may we go where you would have us to go. uh, And may we say what you would have us to say. And God, ultimately, we pray for more of you, and we pray for less of us. We pray all this in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks.
0: So, um, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that there's at least twice a week, if you'd like to spend a little more time with Michael, (laughs) he has two choirs. He has the Primetime Singers, which meets Wednesday morning at 11, forty-five. Ten forty-five. That's eleven o'clock if you're on Eric Stevens' time. Um, at ten forty-five, that you have to be fifty-five and older. Is that the idea? Sure. Sure. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> and um, sanctuary choir, which meets conveniently enough um, at seven o'clock on Wednesday nights. Neither are auditioned, and um, don't even require that you read music. So I put that plug in, especially since Michael's here this morning. Are you available to stay around if people yeah, have questions? Bet. Um well, Thank you so much, gentlemen, for being here this morning. The sun has come up while we've been inside. I hope it's come up outside and someplace inside your your, your day as well. Um, tell people you got to meet the new choir director today and invite them to a concert or a worship service. It's such an easy way to bring people into this community. Um, thank you, Jacob and Steve and Bob, for having breakfast here this morning. We got to try out the uh, corned beef hash and pancakes, so um, you know it's great to have everybody here. Uh, we'll we'll be back the first uh, Thursday in May, and um, thank you again, gentlemen.